You're listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Pines Church online experience. My name is Matt Joya. I am the lead pastor here at the Pines and I am so excited that you decided to carve out in your schedule 25, 30 minutes to study the Word of God with us. And so for those of you who are joining, maybe for the very first time, we are in the middle of a series. Actually, we're concluding this series titled Blind Spots. What are blind spots? They're areas. where the enemy has kind of wedged in our bad habits that we picked up over time or lies that we've inherited. And for whatever reason, um, we are unaware of those things. And so I open, we all have blind spots if we're honest with ourselves. And so I open this series off with the idea of self-sabotage. Many of us, um, to protect ourselves from being wounded again, an area that has been hurt and not properly dealt with, Um, we cover it or we hide it. And this leads to self-sabotage. But God can't heal what you conceal. So we have to be transparent. We have to be vulnerable and allow those wounds that come from people genuinely mistreating us to be healed. Um, And then we talked about the idea of unforgiveness. Um, We know forgiveness is a central theme of the gospel, but often one of the hardest people to forgive is ourselves. And so not keeping a record of right and wrongs. When God forgives us, the sin is as far as the east is to the west. And so we need to receive that word for ourselves. Again, when we hold a list of offenses towards ourself, we are partnering with the enemy because he's he's the accuser of the brethren. And that's essentially what we're doing. Um, We talked about worry. Worry can become an idol in our life. An idol is anything we give our strength to and draw our strength from. So it's the loudest voice inside of your head. That is the Lord of your life. And so we, we sometimes put worry on the throne of our minds. And so we need to rid ourselves. It's a perversion of faith. And we need to cut those things out and put our trust in God. And then we talked about self-pity, how it's repackaged pride. Pride in the traditional sense is arrogance, boasting. Look at me. I've done this. I've accomplished this. I deserve your recognition. I deserve your attention. But self-pity is the same thing. It says, oh gosh, this has been done to me. I've gone through this. You have no idea. Therefore, I deserve your recognition, attention, and praise. It's the same thing. It's just repackaged. Last week, sorry, I'm, I'm just trying to recap and bring everybody up to speed. But last week talked about gossip. The Bible says in Proverbs, these six things the Lord hates and the seventh is an abomination. What is that? those who sow sow discord among the brethren. Other translations say gossip. And so there's not a stronger word in any language that God could use to show his disdain for gossip. It literally destroys. And so we have to rid that in our lives. And sometimes as believers, we get kind of casual because we live in a culture of gossip. If you've been to any gas station or grocery store, it's lined with magazines, right? at the checkout counter of, oh, so-and-so did this, and so-and-so went through this, and so-and-so did this. And so it's like, it become, we normalize it. Therefore, we get casual with it, we tolerate it, and what we tolerate, we endorse. And so we have to be vigilant. And I talked about, it's easy to love what God loves, but the question we need to ask ourselves is, do we hate what God hates? Because God detests gossip. It's an abomination in his eyes. And so I saved the worst one for last. <laughs> um, 
And that's because it truly is the blind spot that air quotations, nobody has. What is that blind spot that nobody has? Air quotes, jealousy. Jealousy is one of the most common problems that no one struggles with. And before we define jealousy, we have to bring up a word that's eerily similar uh, to jealousy, and, and that is the word envy. Uh, in many contexts throughout scripture and even in our society, these words are virtually interchangeable. They, are, they do have separate definitions, but very more often than not, they cross over and become the same thing. And so I'm going to go ahead and define both of these words because as we open up scripture, you will hear the word envy and then you, are, you will hear the word jealousy. And so let's open up with envy. Envy can be defined as this, the painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another joined with a desire to possess the same advantage. Okay, I know none of you have ever struggled with that. Um, and jealousy can be defined like this. Again, eerily similar. Disposed to suspect rivalry or unfaithfulness. Hostile towards a rival or one believed to enjoy an advantage. So there's that word, advantage, advantage. You want their advantage. You're, 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 you suspect and uh, are jealous of their advantage. But if you had to split them up, I think this is kind of the easiest way for you to be able to wrap your mind around. If you had to split up these two words, think of it like this. Jealousy is your attitude. attitude. Let me say that again. If you had to split them up, jealousy is your attitude towards what you have and envy is your attitude towards what they have. Does that make sense? Spurgeon sums it up like this. Self-love is no doubt the usual foundation of human jealousy. The fear lest another should by any means supplant us. You know, as I went through those blind spots that I listed earlier, worry, self-pity, unforgiveness, gossip, at the, at the root of every single one of those blind spots, you know what you'll find? Self. And so this is why Paul commissions us to die to ourselves because as long as we hold on to that, we open ourselves up to all kinds of vile things. And so let's take a look at what the scripture says in regards to jealousy and envy. This is out of Song of Solomon 8.6. It says this, jealousy is as fierce as the grave, meaning fully given over to jealousy, it will eventually take your life. It will rob you of the present. It will rob you of your life. It, and it also, in addition to that, it holds God's plans for your life hostage. In other words, when you get, surrender and give your life over to jealousy, God can't move in the midst of that. It literally puts your, your plans on hold. Why? Because you're no longer living in the present. You're, you're living in this alternate future where you're focused on everybody else but yourself, everybody else around you. Proverbs 14.30 says this, which says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy 
rots the bones. So envy, think of it like this, this imagery where if you have jealousy, if you have envy, it literally starts to rot from the inside out, meaning that what starts and originates in the heart will eventually manifest in your actions, in your words, and in the direction and course of your life. James 3.16 says this, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. That's interesting that it says every vile practice. So where jealousy exists, you open yourself up, not to some, okay, these are the big ones you should look out for, but every vile practice. It literally it, it derails you from the course that God has for you and puts you on a completely different track. It perverts and shapes the way that you see your brothers and sisters and the world. And most dangerously, it perverts and shifts the way that you see God. I'm going to read this last one, and this is out of Proverbs 6.34. I want you to hear this, okay? For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. Notice it doesn't say, and he will not spare if he takes revenge. It says when. When we are given over to jealousy, okay, we will end up taking revenge into our own hands. See, envy and jealousy were both part of the original sin of Satan. He was the worship leader. He looked at God and he wanted to be God. He was envious of God's position. He was jealous of God's position. And that's exactly what he did in the garden, okay? Satan wanted to be like God. And Eve ate from the tree when she was told that she would be like God if she ate from it. So think about this. She could eat from any tree and then Satan comes and plants this lie, this deception that causes her heart towards jealousy that God is withholding, that God is no longer a provider. And he perverts the image of God to Eve and Eve wants to, to be like God so she eats of this tree. See, when you start to get your eyes off of what God has put in front of you to the left and to the right, and you start to compare your life with theirs, or you start to desire what they have, it's a dangerous road and it's a slippery slope. Theodore Roosevelt said that comparison is the thief of joy. It will literally rob you. So instead of being content with what you have, all of a sudden you're consumed with what someone else has, taking for granted what God has given you. I believe this is one of the ways the enemy most often uh, pollutes a believer's heart. So I want to go through a few, these are a few signs that you may be struggling with jealousy because again, in all my years of ministry, this is one of the most difficult things for people to land on and identify in their lives. Okay, this is something that somebody else struggles with, but it's, it really is an ugly sin. And so for someone to come forward and say that they have it, most likely they'll try to, they'll try to masquerade it. But we have, we are, we've been called to live in the light, right? So we can't tiptoe around something that could potentially derail us from the call that God has on our life. So we have to be vigilant on this. So number one, withdrawal. You begin to withdraw. You don't want to be in social settings. You don't want to come to church anymore. You don't want to um, 
meet up with people one-on-one, -on -one, you begin to withdraw, which leads into depression. Remember, the enemy's goal is to isolate you. And so as you begin to become jealous of what other people have, you don't want to spend time with them anymore, right? So you start to retreat within yourself. And we often, here, here's, depression typically comes when we don't get what we want, when we want it. Okay, and I know there's all kinds of different clinical uh, definitions of depression, but essentially at the core root, it's not being content with what you have. Okay, number two, you quickly find yourself accusing others, which leads into gossiping about others. So when you talk, or even when you think sometimes, it's consumed with what this guy's doing, what this girl's doing, what that person just picked up, the promotion that that person, you're thinking about other people way too much and not in a good context. Not in the way that Paul said we should esteem others higher than ourselves. We should be thinking about ways to outdo one another in honor. That's a good way to think about your brothers and sisters, but this is a way that you're thinking about them like they didn't deserve that. Why did they get that and not me? and it pollutes and it corrupts your mind. It's fault finding. The Bible talks about fault finding. We don't use that terminology very often. But again, you're looking at someone and you're trying to find the bad in them, okay? And instead, as believers, we're called to look at people not as they are, but as they could be, to see the potential inside of them. Number three, we talked about this a few weeks ago, self-pity. Okay, so when you do think about yourself, it's that you're being robbed from, it's that you've been stolen from, it's that you haven't got your dues, that this should have already come. So you're consumed with how you've been wronged. And those are the thoughts swelling around in your head. And number four, ungratefulness. You're just not grateful for the things that you had, okay? Lest I remind you and myself, the things that we have today Go back in the past three years ago, one year ago, five years ago, we were praying for those things. Now we occupy those things, those spaces, in those places. But you know what? It's not enough because I want this. You know, when we planted this church, I had many pastors come up to me and they said, you know, Matt, it, you have to get this under control very early. Um, as a pastor, when you get to 500 members, you're going to want 750. And once you get to 750, you're going to want 1,000. Once you get to 1,000, there's nothing wrong with wanting to grow. Healthy things grow, right? But it's this idea that once you get to that milestone, that goal, and goals are good, right? People don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. It's good to have plans, okay? But ultimately, we are obedient to what God has placed inside of our heart. And when you're not content with what you have, why would God entrust you with more? Because you aren't shepherding, you aren't stewarding well what he has given you. And I'm going to tell you this, being completely transparent, I have struggled with this. There have been times that I've looked out at the congregation and said, am I doing something wrong? And then I've shifted my attention Okay, off of what God has told me to do, off of the people that God has entrusted me to lead. It breaks my heart, but I'm just being completely transparent and vulnerable. And I've looked at other churches and said, well, man, why do they have, you know, 500 people and we have, you know, 150 people, 200 people. Am I doing something wrong? And, and you know what? If I'm not diligent to take those thoughts captive, jealousy can take root inside of my heart. And that's why it's so important that you're in the Word of God daily. That's why it's so important that you're in God's presence because the Holy Spirit will highlight those blind spots so that they don't take root, so that you can get them in the seed form and throw them out.
Because if you allow them, if you say, you know what, I'm just not going to read the Word of God today. Or you know what, I'm really, I have a full schedule, I'm not going to pray today. Those seeds sink in. And when those seeds sink in, those weeds, they're competing for the same space, nutrients, water, that the good things God is trying to do, and it chokes them out. And so you have to take an honest assessment of yourself. Let me close kind of with this. The first step in overcoming or uprooting any vice is to acknowledge that it's there. Okay? Honesty is the currency of growth. We have to be honest if we're jealous. I'm not saying you have to throw that out on social media, but there has to be people in your life that you trust. Father figures, mother figures, godmothers, godfathers, people in the faith that you trust, that you can go to and be completely transparent and honest. And ultimately, be honest with the Holy Spirit. He already sees the intentions of your heart and the thoughts that are racing across the movie screen of your mind. So you're not doing, you're not hiding anything from him. So the quicker you get that revelation inside of your mind and say, when something takes through, I'm bringing it straight to God, the quicker you're going to get free from it. But what happens most time is when we see something ugly inside of our heart or inside of our mind, we try to hide it. And we try to hide it from God. And by doing that, we give the enemy access to wreak havoc and to pervert and to grow that thing inside of our minds and inside of our hearts. And so we must be diligent to acknowledge and identify and then begin to uproot those vices, those lies from the enemy so that we don't find ourselves in a place that's leading us away from the church, that's leading us away from God. Because I am telling you, jealousy has taken down many saints in the faith. And so we have to be absolutely vigilant and hate what God hates. Let me read this scripture to you. Well, let me just say this first. The cure for, for the sin of envy and jealousy is to find contentment in God. Not to find contentment in things, not to find contentment in a title, not to find contentment in finances or a relationship, but in God. Why? Because all those things are ultimately hollow. They aren't meant to fill that God-shaped hole, as C.S. Lewis puts it, in your heart. So you're going to need more and more, and they're going to leave you empty every single time. So our contentment, our identity must be found solely and wholly in the love of God. Let's read Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. It says this, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. I love that. Christ, Jesus, he's coming to live in your home, in your heart. He's coming to live there. He's coming to take residence there. There's nothing else that the world can give me when I have that close, intimate relationship with God, when I can go to him any second of any day, and that he's willing to talk to me any second of every day, that he's leading me and guiding me into the best path for my life. It says your roots will grow down into God's love. Okay, so from that place, our roots grow down. So they keep on going down. What, is a root, what do roots do? They support us. It, roots support a tree. So when a storm comes, if your roots are, are deep, the tree doesn't knock over. But how many times have we seen a hurricane 
or, or, or bad windstorm and the trees get knocked over. Most likely when you go to look at that tree, the reason that it fell is because its roots were really, really shallow. And so we've been commissioned to send our roots deep in God's love. And it says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. I love this. It's giving you this language that we have been meant to explore God's love. That, in other words, you know, there's no end to the left or to the right. There's no end, or east, west. There's no end north, south vertically, horizontally, whatever you want to look at it, there's just no end. So there's so much for us to explore. So often we're satisfied with the, just the crumbs from the master's table when God has so much more for, there's a richness and a vastness as we study God's word. You don't just get it, oh yeah, God loves me, and then move on with your life. No, there's, there's no end to it. There's no extent to it. And we've been meant to explore it and your roots continue to grow down, which will make you stronger in this life. It says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. So we're never going to fully understand it. Okay. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. So there is a fullness of life that God wants to give you. And it is when we send our roots down in his love and we explore the riches of his love for us. When we are rooted and grounded and perfected in, the lo in, in love, our identity in God is profoundly fulfilled that nothing we see or hear or experience can cause us to stumble into jealousy, into envy, or into strife. Why? Because everything I need is found in God. And the only place that we can truly get to that is when we explore His love. First Corinthians 13, 4 says, love does not envy. So when we receive God's love, we then share God's love. And because we have God's love, we realize there's nothing that the world can offer us. Okay, we sing these lyrics and songs. We grow up, you know, this world has nothing for me. But really, there's a place that we can come in our walk with Christ, understanding our true identity and how much he really loves us, that the world doesn't have anything. So we don't look as somebody's promotion, as something being taken away from us. First of all, it's flawed logic. Because when, you know, there, there is no lack in heaven. So when someone's promoted or when God blesses someone, it's not robbing you. It's not taking away from you. We should celebrate their victories because God is no respecter of persons. What he did for one, he will do for another. Their breakthrough is your breakthrough. When you fully catch this revelation, you understand that this world has nothing for you, and you will be truly content in Christ. And so if we're honest with ourselves, though, most of us are in the kiddie pool of God's love. We have a shallow understanding of this, but God invites us in Ephesians to explore the depths, the richness, 
the width, the height, the depth of his love. I already said depth, but that's how deep it is, man. It's so deep. And so I read a National Geographic magazine a little while ago, and it said that I think 40% of the ocean we haven't even touched. We've never even seen because we simply do not have the capability to build machinery to go down to those depths. So we don't even fully understand the ocean and all that lives inside of it. Loch Ness Monster, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> That's in a lake, I think. But regardless, the point is, is there's so much more for us to explore. And it's the only way that our hearts will be truly satisfied and will be set apart, set above. Holiness means to be set apart so that we see these things in the world as they truly are and that they won't sustain us. We don't really need them, but we seek first the kingdom of God and the things that we need, God will add to us, but they aren't the thing. So therefore, there's nothing for us to be jealous about. There's nothing for us to be envious about. And we don't have to partner with the enemy. We partner with God. And so I want to pray with you. I want to invite you first and foremost to and, and champion you to explore the depths and the richness of his love for you, to study God's word, to fall in love with it, to hunger for it. And I'll just say this, you hunger for what you feed on. If you're eating fast food every single day, when you get hungry, you're working out, what are you going to crave? Fast food, because that's all you eat. But if you start to eat salmon and mixed field greens, start to eat healthy food, when you get hungry, guess what? You're going to crave that. So you may not, it may be difficult for you to get in the word of God. It may be hard and you're like, I just read it. I didn't really get anything out of it. Continue on with it, okay? Continue on with it and eventually you'll change your appetite and you'll begin to hunger for it. And as you hunger for it, you're gonna get nutrients, substance, strength from it, revelation from it, and it's gonna change your whole view of this world, of yourself, of him, the one that sent his son to die on a cross so that you could be in relationship with him, this will truly set, your, set you free. And you realize no drug, no amount of sex, no promotion out there is worth the peace that God gives you. So I want to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for every single person that's listening, that's watching this. I pray that their hearts would be tender, that as I've shared the word of God, that a seed was deposited. And I pray, God, that you would give them the grace to search these things out for themselves and that they would grow and mature in the love that you have for them, that their roots would grow deep, Lord, and that their identity would be fully and wholly rooted in you. God, we give you all the glory because you are so worthy. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for spending time with us. I'm so excited. We're going to be starting a series on identity next week, so you're definitely going to want to be there. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.